0: Hi, I'm Yushuan Su. And I'm Connor Campbell. You're listening to Into the Unknown. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Into the Unknown with me and Connor. And today we've got a really special guest to to talk about something that we've wanted to bring onto the podcast for ages and you know it's a massive um, passion of both of ours but also Connor's job um, as a strength and conditioning coach and yeah like we've always spoken a little bit about he obviously does my strength and conditioning work and programming and he does it for a range of different athletes in different sports as well so it's a topic that we've always spoken about, you know, its place in sports, how it differs from one sport to another and what kind of everyone can, can use it for in, in their lives, whether they're a professional athlete or they play a sport recreationally or they're, you know, the general population just wanting to get, get better physically and mentally. Um, and with us today, we're really hap- lucky and happy to have Katie Bleakman who is a BT for specializing in equestrian riders. Um, And she currently coaches riders from all different levels from uh, like grassroots riders all the way up to the top level in the Olympics. Um, And actually both Katie and Connor have both been to the latest Olympics for their respective sports. Sorry, coached an athlete that's been to that Olympics, (laughs) Um, but anyway, yeah, welcome on, Katie.
1: Thank you very much for having me.
0: Um, Yeah, like before we crack on, like why don't you um, tell us a little bit about you know yourself, what you do. I know that you know you've created you've created this this way of sort of merging two. know, very big passions of yours of horses and riding and of fitness and how you've kind of come to doing that and how how that's that's come about basically
1: yeah so um obviously I'm Katie and I was born into a very very horsey family um long story short my dad runs our stud farm so we breed horses my mum used to be a top level event rider going to uh world championships badminton all the kind of highest uh events out there I've got two sisters that work full-time in horses and kind of grew up knowing that I wanted to ride at the top level but I never ever wanted to do it full-time so I always had other interests like at school I was very very sporty um a lot of athletics team sports and then probably when I was like 16 um trying to get on the pony teams I was very very conscious of fitness because I was very tall I was probably about 5'9 5'10 on a little 14 hand pony Um, And I asked probably a lot of 15 year old girls do got very, very caught up in weight and using fitness as a means to control my weight. Um, So at that point, I probably didn't realise it, but I used to kind of come home from school, ride the horses, run down to the gym. And what we were sort of talking about earlier, do an hour on a cardio machine and run home again. But looking back now, it was from a very, very negative headspace. I'm um, from the wrong kind of side of things rather than making myself better making myself stronger I was just doing it purely from uh, like an energy expenditure point of view so did that for a few years and then I stopped riding completely when I was about 18 19 went into the real world did some like more corporate style jobs sitting behind a computer and quite quickly in a few years realized that just wasn't for me so. Went back into the horses and I decided to freelance groom, uh, worked for quite a lot of different riders, mainly show jumping, eventing um, and kind of having that experience already as a rider and then getting like more of an insight as a groom amongst like working for riders at shows abroad here um, all around the world. It kind of really gave me that extra edge, but I knew that it wasn't just what I wanted to do. Um, and at that point I was starting to get into training more again and I just thought like what would be a cool job to do and someone said to me like oh you'd be a really cool PT like how cool would that job be spending all day training people and I was like yeah that'd be awesome Um, so I did my qualifications alongside grooming and then went into it full-time a few years ago Um, and obviously started in a gym role I was very lucky got into a uh, independent gym that mainly did small group training and then I built my one-to-one base from there Um, And then my goal has always been to predominantly train riders and show riders kind of how to get themselves stronger, fitter, but also make training and make fitness a part of their lifestyle, which was something that I always struggled with at first. Um, And then obviously with the whole COVID thing, I ended up moving back to Devon, moving back to home, and I started my own online remote business. Um, And now, yeah, like you said, um, I coach riders all over the world from all various disciplines, um, mainly females. Um, but, yeah, it's just really cool to be helping so many different people at different levels and doing the different disciplines from you know raining, cowboy riding, polo jumping, dressage eventing. It teaches you a lot as well, so yeah, that's kind of what I do.
0: sweet, I mean that's amazing i mean it, and it's really cool that you've been able to find you know that that niche and that intersection between between riding and horse sports and, and fitness and um, strength and conditioning work. And what does that, you know, I have interest, like, what does that look like? Because obviously, you now have a, a massive insight into, into the strength and conditioning and the fitness side of the fitness world within the, the horse and equestrian community. Um, and that's, you know, that's what you do. And that's what you help people with what would you say would be the general um, like conception of, of what a rider sees fitness work workouts or how much would you say the general rider knows about, uh, about, you know, what they could be doing with their strength and their fitness to help their riding. Is that something that's, that's one taken seriously? Is it something that people would have a, not, a lot of knowledge about or, or yeah. What does it look like?
1: So, I think for me, the majority of my clients, whatever level they are in terms of riding, so whether they're going to badminton or whether they are like just hacking at home, um, everyone to me, probably 90% of the people I train would be what I class as complete beginners. They've never stepped foot in a gym. They've probably dabbled in a little bit of Pilates. Maybe they've done a bit of Zumba. They might have done the odd Hit class here and there. Sometimes they have tried uh, PT or something else like that. And nine times out of 10, they just either haven't enjoyed it or they can't stick to it. Um, And I think, like you said, thinking about perceptions, what people think they should do. Um, is very much down. Cardio route, like don't lift, you'll get big, you'll get heavy. A lot of girls, especially the girls that I train that are probably uh, kind of like 18 to probably 35 age range, worry about that. Like, oh, I've got massive shoulders, I'm going to get even bigger. Um, And then when you actually start to help them understand how you actually get bigger, they kind of start to realise self-education that, okay, maybe that's not going to happen. So there's a lot of, um, I suppose, false information. And if you like gossip, that people kind of get scaremongered into not doing things. Um, and then I think most riders, like if you saw in a gym and it, I think we were saying earlier, it does come down to a confidence thing and also a knowledge thing. We'll probably go to the area that's full of like the BOSUs, the sandbags, the kettlebells, pick up a lightweight, stick on the cardio machines. And I think more probably out of confidence. And like you just said, like, is there a bit of a lack of understanding? I think there is. Um, and, you know, when you walk into a gym, like somebody said that to me the other day, oh, I wouldn't be confident enough to go into the weight area and what you call the man's area. Um, and if you don't know, you're not going to go in there, are you? Because you're not going to feel safe, and you're going to feel stupid at the end of the day. Which for me, like when I'm training my guys, whether they're training at home or in the gym, especially if they've never moved, that's like the number one thing. Like give them a program they can actually do that's not going to make them feel stupid, that's not going to make them feel like they can't move, and actually then they can get a bit of progression. But I think, yeah, what you guys think? But it's I think it's definitely a change of perception.
2: Do you find, uh, I know that you mentioned a bit earlier that you train mostly females. Mm-hmm. Do you find, uh, Do first of all, do you train any males at all?
1: Yes, I train one or two men.
2: Yeah, do you find the difference between either education or competence level between male and female different at all? In terms of like the gym?
1: In terms of like how confident a male would be to go in and...
2: Or yeah. like previous experience? Um,
1: Yeah, that's a a good question to be fair. I think I probably find that men would maybe progress a little bit faster, but maybe in the sense of that they want to get from A to B as quickly as they can. And sometimes, I'm not saying all men, um, sometimes the female coach, they can be a bit like, Yeah, I know how to do X, Y, Z. Um, When I actually, if you watch them move or like you kind of listen to them talk or ask them about their lifestyle, they actually don't know as much as maybe they think they do. Yeah. Um, So maybe, yeah. probably
0: is most men.
2: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I was about to say, don't be shy. You can say it's pretty much every man.
1: Without generalising, but then, like, it's difficult because if I've had uh, females that come to me that I would have said, like... They're relatively experienced. they've strength trained before. normally with a PT, they actually think they don't know a huge amount, and they progress really, really quickly. but they're the ones that are probably most open to uh, learning more info, and it's not just like stuff in the gym. A lot of what I do, and that's kind of why I've gone so female based is because there's so many other avenues, like you know mm. most people um, don't have a clue about how the menstrual cycle affects training, fat loss, weight gain, you know maintenance, anything, how your sleep affects things, which obviously I'm sure you guys go into. but, um yeah I think probably in a way there there is a difference there and I think yeah maybe sometimes men are a bit bull in a china shop want to kind of get the end result as quick as they can if that makes sense
2: yeah
0: Yeah, I think we're definitely guilty of
1: that Um, yeah
2: I, I would agree with you with most of the males that I train tend to be a little bit more headstrong that it's not that they just know they think they know what they're doing it's also that like you and you mentioned it perfectly that sometimes they tend to rush from a to b and they don't take the time to understand why do i need to do these certain exercises to improve this whereas i feel for most females you know the the gym is still one of those areas it's changing a lot but it's still one of those areas where it can feel slightly intimidating and so like you mentioned to have that guidance of this is what we're doing. This is why we're doing it. You know, maybe educating them about their mindset, their sleep, their nutrition. They, they're they like sponges. They take everything on board because, yeah. you know, ultimately they've probably never had any of this guidance before. Uh, yeah. So I, I, I like... I mean, I, in- I'm just
0: to say I'm, I'm definitely guilty of what you were saying, Connor, because, like, I, you know, there's been so many... Especially at the start. And I think that's why it's also so important for me to have like in person sessions with you and stuff like that. Yeah. Because I can go into the gym and look on the app and I'll be, oh, okay, I'm going to go and smash out the front squats and the trap bar deadlifts. And then I do all that. And then I kind of be like, oh, you know, I don't have to try as hard for the, for the extra stuff, you know, yeah. but the, the stuff that's actually also contributing a lot to, to my yeah. you know, core stability and my mobility and things like that. Um, but to pick up on i think it's so interesting um talk with you saying that there is a lot of like you say like gossip and sort of false or misleading misguiding information about about fitness work for your riding and and maybe what what riders should be doing and i think it's also fair to say that that's not that's not a, a problem that's exclusive to, to riding. Like it, 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 you see it in a lot of sports and Connor can probably attest to that. Um, but, you know, even for me, like growing up and I played a lot of rugby in school and even then, like we had what was a, who was a kind of professional rugby coach come coach our school team. But when we did sessions in the gym, he had no clue, like looking back now, he had no idea what we were supposed to be doing that would get us better at rugby. He was just yeah. like, oh, I'd do some hammer curls. Um, <laughs>
1: I-, I think, oh, yeah, on that point, I um, watched Rush at the weekend, you know, the Formula One film. Um, and that really made me think, like, it's the same with the majority of sports. Like, Formula One, how many years ago is that? I'm probably, like, shooting myself in the foot, say 50 years ago, it might be more. Um, but, like, you know, they all, like, got out the cars, they'd be swigging the champagne, they'd be smoking, like, none of them did any gym work, they all worked on their own cars, and, like, yeah, they're fit individuals, but there was no specific training, you now look at Formula One, look at them doing all their, like, neck work, you look at them in the gym, you look at, um I can't think of his name, um Australian driver, like, his cardio regime, like, they trained seriously, and I think in that respect like the whole equestrianism sport is almost like I would say polo is maybe the one that's least but is still stuck in that old era mindset of like I suppose not treating like whatever sport it is the driver the competitor as an athlete if that makes sense
0: yeah I feel like we're in quite a it's sort of like a transition period isn't it like you see yeah. a lot of top riders uh you know whether it's I I see what Kent Farrington posts yeah workouts and um uh, you know a lot of riders are talking about more what they're doing like we say like what we're doing off the horse to get better when we're on the horse and but that's not quite filtering down through to yeah. I guess the general public yet and I'm just interested as well like kind of what are your experiences with say luge and and, and sports that maybe don't have as established a, an SNC knowledge and, and base
2: I think uh yeah actually to be fair you mentioned it right at the end that generally it comes down to having that culture ingrained uh in in a sport uh in in previous years I don't think equestrian was one of those sports where you would have taken yourself as an athlete seriously like you could be a very serious rider but you might not think of yourself as an athlete whereas say maybe I I mean I could be wrong people might take themselves very seriously now which which is exactly what we want them to do um whereas i feel in other sports because snc or maybe speed work or strength work has been such a big part of that sport for so long they take themselves as an athlete much more seriously
1: i agree Um, with you i completely agree with that statement like not like you said like that's not necessarily terming every rider under that umbrella but when you're talking about being an athlete you're not just talking about the training like you're talking no. about you know looking after your sleep looking after your diet like mm. if you look at what most riders do and like what are we are we a week away each one two weeks away from the first event of the season um yeah. i'd like I hasten to judge that most riders are probably not sat at home, you know, eating a really good balanced meal, getting plenty of protein in, getting a nice complex carbohydrate in. they probably haven't even thought about their diet, which to be fair, is fair enough when you're trying to run a yard of, you know, 20 horses or work full time. But again, it's like you just said, culture ingrained, like the culture has to change.
2: Yeah. And I think actually that's something also I, I didn't consider until you mentioned it is that in a lot of other sports, people have other... Uh, coaches or support staff that do everything else for them you know I'm not sure I'm uh, I'm I'm certain that the top riders wouldn't spend 20 hours a week at the yard doing stuff unless they had to unless they didn't have that support but mm. people don't realize how much effort that takes to do you know yeah. I've I've never cleaned a yard before and I probably never will again <laughs> I have done you can once. come back
0: you can come back down to my yard for another visit <laughs> if you like
2: but it's hard work like it's it's hard work and that in itself is physically demanding never mind just getting on a horse and and training yeah um but yeah in in terms of other sports going back to it when i first met i mean elsa is a good example she had a very good knowledge of strength conditioning luckily being a doctor i think that's where a lot of it comes from she had a good understanding of her body um, of what she needed of her sport um but you see some of the people... I was at the Winter Olympics a couple of weeks ago, um, and you see some people, they're in the gym, and I'm just like, what the fuck are these people doing?
1: What were they doing out of interest?
2: Stuff on boasting balls. <laughs> you know, so and cool. I'm kind of just well, like, hey... Not,
0: let's just start beating around the bush. Let's talk about <laughs> boasting balls. So what are your thoughts on boasting balls for rider fitness?
1: <laughs> it was literally the first thing we spoke about, wasn't it? I think... Um, <laughs> they have their place like any uh, bit of fitness kit but it's easy with things like that to end up getting over focused on what I would call like the really small rocks zooming in too much like they're not going to give you progression you're not going to get stronger from them yes you might improve my muscle connection yes if you've got uh, poor foot stability they could be a really good like as part of your pre-activation work before you go into say a squat session or a heavy single leg work they have their place there but like so many times, especially more in person, when I train people and they came into the gym, they see the boastable ball. Oh, can we do core cool work on the bosu ball? Um, and for a while, to be fair, I did have people doing cool work on it, or say standing on a bosu ball, holding like a semi squat, and then uh, doing like say a cable row or squatting on it, whatever. But at the end of the day, like that's not going to give them progressive overload. And I think you guys said it on your last podcast I listened to. If you actually think of a bosu ball. How it's moving, how on earth does that replicate how a horse moves? Because if your horse is tipping up and down that much, like I think you probably need to get him to the physio, like there's something seriously, <laughs> seriously wrong going on there. But then it, it's not just Bose's, it's, you know, I don't know, there's other pieces of kit out there, bungees, and it's the same thing. But it, I think, like, well, what you guys think, that again a bit of a lack of understanding people think if they get on a bosu if they use a bungee for six months they're going to get stronger and what they'll probably find is yeah they get a little bit of progress for a few weeks maybe a couple of months and then suddenly like you realize out of nowhere oh i haven't actually got any more changes and the only way to get those changes physically is by progressive overload and adding resistance to your training which you know is again an education thing that most probably don't understand
0: and i think um i don't know what you guys think as you know like the professionals in the field but um I think part of it is, you know, the term sport specific can be extremely misleading. I'd
1: completely agree with that. I think because it's, again, like a bit of a niche sport. And there's not really that many people out there saying you should be doing X, Y, Z. Like, I'm sure if you were like a relatively high level tennis player that's 21, you could go online and buy a pretty good strength and conditioning program. There's not going to be like a cable exercise where you're, I don't know, twisting around and pretending to fire a racket in the gym, is there? Like, that's just that's just going to cause an injury. Um, <laughs> You'd be surprised,
0: actually. <laughs>
1: But yeah, I think, I don't know. I think it's the same, the same sort of thing. Like it's, it purely comes down to education, doesn't it? But changing, you know, I think maybe from a marketing point of view, I obviously want to be a little bit careful. I phrase this, but it's very easy to put someone on a BOSU ball. Like I did a photo shoot recently to use the photos for social media, stuff like that. And I didn't have any BOSUs. I had resistance bands because most of my guys train from home and they have their place. They're great to use to get going. Um, but I left all the kind of, if you like, gimmicky kit out, because I think it's too easy to say, oh, I'm a rider fitness coach, put a picture of someone on a BOSU ball on your website, and then they go, ah, awesome, she knows what she's doing, when in actual fact, like, the majority of people need to be focus- focusing on proper, you know, strength compound movements, and then adding in accessory work that they actually need, like, that's the other thing, it has to be specific, doesn't it, to the individual, like, you can't expect someone say that 50 had an ACL replacement to get on a BOSU ball and start doing a squat. Like they're going to hurt themselves.
0: Yeah. I mean, that's, uh, that's, that's, um, I know that Connor, you, you talk a lot about that as well. Like from like shifting from just coaching and programming for that sport to actually thinking about the, the individual, um, and what that person needs within that sport. And, yeah, like I think, you know, when, especially in a, in a sport like riding, that's, I would say extremely skill-based and not so much, you know, you don't need to be extremely strong. You don't need to, you don't need to be, you don't have to have like top PBs and powerlifting, um, or you don't need to be able to run like ultra marathons, but you need some kind of fitness. But I think in like part, part of the the challenges that people may face and, and that i see people face is that you probably don't see the results in your riding straight away and you know it's it's hard to see the light at the end of the tunnel if it were because you you're going to the gym and it's all you know for a rider who's who's not used to um, gym work and, and fitness and strength work. You you're going to the gym. It's all completely new. You're doing stuff that you don't think you should be doing or you didn't know that you should be doing. You know, you got, you went in thinking, oh, I need to get fit, so I go on the treadmill, and then and I need to be more balanced, so I would hop around on a Bosu ball with like pulling on some resistance bands or whatever. But then, um Katie, your program doesn't have that, and neither does yours, Connor. Um, but you know, you're doing stuff that you do not know you should be doing, you don't know whether it's improving your riding. Um and you know, you're so focused on on your I guess the the riding in itself and you don't realise that actually when you don't address those imbalances and you don't address those weaknesses and, and how you're compensating, like those all affect your riding quite significantly and, and your horse feels that and it it's it, yeah. Um, but I guess my point is like, I think people don't don't see straight away like the the improvements within within the riding and what they actually want to achieve. Um, and I know that Katie, you do a lot with um, trying to trying to improve that and trying to to spread the message and and get people more aware at least and more um, knowledgeable about what they should be and could be doing in the gym and you you did recently a a segment on horse and hound podcast about that um but in general like what do you guys think what do you think is the way forward like you know should yeah yeah like how how do you how do you get that across to to sports in general and, and to not just top level athletes in the sports but to the general population
1: I personally think that this is going to sound like I'm making a massive plug but it's not um I personally think that everybody should invest in a coach at some point in their training or riding career whoever you are whatever level you are because like all those things you are just saying you go into the gym you're squatting for say three four weeks you can't really see the purpose of why you're doing it or maybe you're not coming out like um you're not coming out with sore legs or you're not blasted and I've had clients before and like I always say to my clients I coach them, it's not a dictatorship. I don't say, go and do this. And I like to be challenged, but it's good. And sometimes like somebody will ask you a question and you think, ah, actually, that's a really good question. Like maybe somebody else thinks that. I had a client that had drummed into her, um, and she'd done a lot of kind of like rider-specific hip, Pilates, and she was like, I'm not sore, I'm not sore, I'm not sore. And I was like, you're training four times a week, you're training for a half marathon, you've got a full-time job as a marketing head of a huge um, restaurant chain, you're then trying to ride a horse, look after your husband, like you cannot be sore, it's going to be, and like, you know, when you then talk about lifestyle markers, things like that, but that is actually having confidence in the coach that you're working with and saying hey why am I doing this like I don't understand like I'm not seeing the you know correlation between what I'm doing here to what I'm doing with the horse And I think that's probably the biggest thing like I think I read on um, I think it's called Strong Girls Molly Galbraith's website and she's a specific US female trainer that 67% of women invest in a fitness coach at some point in their life so if you're going to do that you should make sure that it's somebody that you know you can ask questions to you can get answers from and that can actually help you to start to Um, I suppose again change those perceptions that you hold
2: I agree Um, I think uh, someone like you mentioned it perfectly is a coach is someone that is also there to guide you sometimes but also there to mentor you and to kind of teach you this is why we're doing things but also to be open to questions
1: yeah Um, I know for me through like my training and how I now coach and also through my training like in the past few years whether that's been marathons or um tries and then going a bit more strength focused uh, this is the first time in probably uh I don't know three years four years that I've not had a coach I always had a coach in person before um and it well it gives you confidence doesn't it like you said you can ask questions
2: yeah and sometimes as well you, you kind of alluded to it, is that if you have someone who is riding four times a week, they're working a full-time job, they have a family, they need some of that pressure to be offloaded to someone else so that you can... There is a reason why there are people in this field who are experts. There's a reason why you have HR, marketing, blah, 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 mm-hmm. because they are they know exactly what they're doing, or at least you would hope they do. <laughs> um, you know, So it, it's worth making sure that you find someone who is who fits you what you are looking for uh one of the reasons why i'm not sure if you do this katie you do consultations to make sure that you think that coach is right for you but then also if you think that athlete is going to be right for you i've turned people away because i didn't think that they would fit my style of coaching and that they wouldn't listen to me Maybe the wrong choice from a marketing perspective. But to be honest with you, I'd rather work with people who I think I'm going to make a difference with and who are going to listen and who I'm going to get the most out of. I don't want someone to come with me to me for just four weeks and then they go, I don't think this is for me. Because at the end of the day, strength training, like you both mentioned, is not a four week thing. It's a lifestyle. It's a habit that you have to try and get used to. And you're not going to see the results straight away. You, to be yeah. fair,
0: um, I, I think I think um, everyone would listen to Katie, which is pretty scary. <laughs> <Yeah>.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I think that's a perception as well, isn't it? Like you know, people think that you're going to be like beasted, like you just said about um, saying that. I always start a consultation. I always do a ten minute call, like that's without a doubt, and I just let the client or the rider speak. So, like, I want to know all about them get an idea for them and you can pick people's energy up quite quickly and like you know even like I you would have found this in person like sometimes in person it would be the same with whatever job you do like you go off other people's energy don't you so some people are going to come in leave you buzzing at 7am then you're going to have somebody that's maybe a bit slower maybe got personal things going on and their energy brings you down but like I'm very much now but like everyone that comes in it's an online community they have to be on the same wavelength with the same values with the same energy level and of course everybody's different But like you said, you can kind of get a feel. And I think that is the right thing, you know, from a moral point of view as a coach. Like some people would be better off suited to somebody else. Like with, say, Yushuan's experience, I wouldn't feel confident coaching you with all of the work that you've done from your strength and conditioning in the gym with Connor, because you guys are at that like next level of strength and conditioning. Then I'd be a bit like, "Mm, I don't think I am the right coach for you. Like, you know, you should go to somebody else. And I think that kind of is a good thing when you refer out or refer over to somebody else, because sometimes that's needed.
0: Yeah. I just wanted to pick up on like Katie, you said about um, you yeah, know, and I fully agree, like everyone, whether you do a sport or not, and whether you are like at whatever level you are within your sport, like everyone should invest in in a coach at some point and, and invest in their own fitness work at some point in their lives. And but I know uh, it's a it, it's true for our sport um there's a lot of shit like there's a lot of of coaches quote unquote who yeah like like we've alluded to um don't really know what they're doing yeah you know I I did want to go in a little bit later as well about um specific things that you guys would would program for for riders and stuff like that but like how how would people how would people know like you know when you have a population within the sport in general, who isn't extremely knowledgeable about, about fitness work. And then you have a lot of, a lot of people who are pretending to know what they're doing and pretending to be there being able to help people. Um, yeah, like it can be hard, you know, and it's,
2: and I think a lot
0: of it is misleading. And I think, you know, when for for years I've, I've had quite bad back pain, um, Mm -hmm especially going cross country and, you know, on those longer tracks. And if I'm riding more than, more than one horse, you know, if I've, I've done three or four horses in a day across country, it, like, it, it, to like to a point where it was like excruciating pain.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And everyone outside of that sort of strength or fitness world, I guess you'd say, was saying like, you've got a stretch and you've got to, uh, I don't know, do yoga. Uh, Maybe you're not cardiovascularly fit enough. You need to get on the bike or you need to go for a run. And whilst all of those were true, like, yeah, like stretching does help me get looser and going for a run does help me get fitter. Like the things that helped the back pain the most was like you know, before I started working with Connor, my physio said to me, like when I was talking about the back pain, he was like, "Well, you're really compensating. Um, you're not, you're not activating. You're not engaging your core, and you're compensating with your lower back. You're compensating, you your, your, like your hips. Your hip flexors aren't firing up, etc." And I was like, "Yeah, okay, whatever." But then working with Connor and actually addressing those things, you know, and and um, working on your core stability also comes into like doing a heavy squat uh it's not just it's not just doing a plank it is doing a plank but it's not just doing that you know and it's um but having experienced those things and doing those things that that people don't really see um and and doing things that aren't stretching and yoga and stuff like that like i've felt a massive difference and i like i no longer get that back pain and i I feel like i'm I'm a lot more effective um so yeah like that's just kind of my personal experience and what I've seen in terms of what the I guess what the population within riding in general thinks like values and prioritizes in terms of fitness work and and what they're kind of missing um so yeah you know I know that you you like I say like you do a lot to try to spread that awareness and stuff but just to bridge the gap, like, what would you guys, what do you guys, like, what, what do you programme for your riders?
2: You I only have one, so Kate's probably a lot more experience than I am.
1: <laughs> I, I think, first of all, like, on everything you just touched on, like, I wrote a blog last year about Pilates not being enough, Um, And I think it had like 400 views. It's like by far my most popular blog. And like a few of my clients, um, I kind of wrote it on purpose because I'd done a lot of consultation calls, and I always ask people what they tried. I done Pilates, done yoga and like they get a little bit of somewhere and they don't get anywhere and again it's not adding in any resistance training so at some point you're going to plateau. but it's the same as your horse like you wouldn't just school it on the flat for the next 12 weeks go to Osby pull up at the finish line and he's done a leg or he's lame and then think oh why is he lame you know it's doing a little bit of everything yes yoga will help yes pilates will help yes strength training will help but I think maybe it's the like you said like people said to you oh go do this go do that go do cardio like i think yeah again it's a lack of understanding but i think also in brutal honesty it's a bit of laziness like you can do yoga at home you can do pilates at home you only have to log on to youtube and do it for 10 minutes you could go for a run for five minutes you can do a bit of cycling in the living room so i think like from that point of view it's probably going back to like you said with more males but i think females are guilty of it as well probably thinking oh if i do 10 minutes tonight that'll solve it that'll be all right and then two weeks down the line because people are consistently and are focusing on too many of the small things they don't get anywhere and they get bored and ah oh, it doesn't work whereas actually you know I would give people a bit of everything like again it depends what level they're coming in at but most of my guys typically are super weak through their posterior chains um, most of them are sedentary in some way whether that is riding 10 horses a day whether that is sitting at their desk whether that is driving I've got actually a lot of young girls that ride at very high level show jumping and eventing And they drive HGVs, so that's nine, 10 hours, three times a week, sat in a lorry driving. Um, So typical, like tight abs, tight hip flexors, tight chest, quite a lot of people. um, And again, varying ages everybody has a bit of back pain that's a given um quite a lot of my riders actually have like rotator cuff issues um a lot of them have knee pain um a lot of them have like you were saying imbalances going on so I take people through a mobility screen when I first get going so obviously it's remote but I need to see how they move so like say they'll do a lunge and they won't even notice their like right knee or completely cave in they say oh I'm a bit weak on my right side or um I don't like to lunge on my right side whatever it is or it hurts and actually when you start showing them that they're like ah okay I can see it so then Like, obviously, like you said, it's giving people what they need, and everybody is different. Again, like, I know it's not a completely horsey podcast, but it's like, what would you give your horse? You don't give every horse the same prescription from exercise to vet care to nutrition. It's exactly the same thing. So, looking at the individual in front of you and then identifying, like, okay, you need to do X amount of dose of mobility work. Like, I give most of my guys all, like, five, 10 minutes at the start of the session of mobility work. Um, And for most people, I try and add in like a couple of uh, mobility sessions through the week um, just so that they can do something. They can move. It's not taxing. It's easy and it doesn't apply too much stress. And then moving into like more strength based compound movements, probably. But again, it's individual having slightly more of a bias towards uh, lower body and like pool dominant work. So you're really working on that posterior chain. Um, And then, like you said, adding in accessories, depending on what people need and want, whether that's a bit of core work. I like to give people a bit of uh, what I would call a finisher, whatever you want to call it, a bit of metcom, whatever, so that they feel like they have worked at the end. But like it's never going to leave them kind of dying on the floor. So they've got a bit of that cardio work. They've got that core work. But then again, like you said, you know, when people start doing I don't know, a hip hinge and start building towards a deadlift at first, if they've never done it before, they cannot see how that's going to help their riding. They cannot understand how they're using their core. And then actually when you start to break it down, like um, I know you said Connor uses uh, the same app I do, like you can add interactive videos in so you can go through people's form and you start to break it down. It's actually really interesting to see what people feel and how the movement changes for them, if that makes sense, over a period of say like eight weeks when they first pick up a bar to when they actually then get the movement, they can feel their core engaged and they've got everything going. So yeah, it's I think to be honest, it's a little bit of everything. And then obviously meeting that client, wherever they're at, dependent on a, as well, like their environment, like if they're training at home in the gym.
2: Yeah. Uh, I mean, you pretty much covered all of it, to be fair. The only thing I was going to ask is I think most people don't know what they need or where to start. Yeah. And so if they come to you and they say, I've been told that I need to get stronger, you're like, right, well, that's quite a, a large statement to attack. Yeah. Like, my what answer, do you mean by that?
1: Yeah, that's my answer to that question. And when people say, ah, <laughs> oh, I need to improve my core strength, I need to get fitter, I need to yeah. get stronger, typical rider answer, and I didn't actually know what it meant. Um, I need to get not out of puff and I was like pardon me what, what does that mean <laughs> they were like oh you know you come through the finish and like you literally can't breathe and I was like oh right okay right. um but yeah and like well, I always say that your GP. <laughs> yeah <laughs> like what do you mean by that and then actually sometimes when you ask people they're a bit like uh well what do you mean and I said well what does being stronger look or feel like to you so say like you Shwan, in six months what does that stronger fit to you Shwan, look or feel like how does he ride Um, how does his back pain feel everything like that and then people start to kind of break it down oh well actually you know I know I really collapsed with my left hip or whatever it is and then you can break it down and I think
0: that's so important that breaking all those bits down and it's just kind of come to me I guess like from my experience um sort of actively well one like trying to understand and connect the dots between between the, the gym work and the riding um, that's something that people I guess need to learn for themselves and and it's you know when when you break it down I guess it's not so straightforwardly simple but if you look at you know well someone actually asked me like what what is what do you how is doing a deadlift helping your riding for example and I, I was like well okay if you just look at your position over a jump mm-hmm. um, and the jumping position, like what's going on there. Like, ideally, you want to be hinging at the hips, pretty good. Um, yeah, and if- you want to have your weight down through your heel and leg down, and and then you want to be able to come up back into balance on landing. And all those things are like that's kind of a, a deadlift in one form or another. But you know, just because. and and I experienced this, like just because I was deadlifting 200 kilos doesn't mean that I was balanced over a jump. I still had to connect that dot. You know, I still had to think about transferring that to my riding, like still being what I'm on the horse, mindful and aware of how I'm using my body, just Mm -hmm. like I would be in a deadlift, if that makes sense. And like, I think that might be, you know, one of the, one of the things that, that people are some people are kind of missing. It's okay. I'm doing all this work in the gym. How do I carry that over? And at the end of the day, like you can get stronger, you can get fit, or whatever that means for you. But you still have to make that decision, and you still have to work to transfer that onto the horse. Do you know what I mean?
1: Yeah, I think going back to what you said earlier, like it's really easy to uh overcomplicate sport specific like if you look at every single sport um I can't think what book I recently read but like it's so true like and what you're just talking about I feel like we're getting down to like the basics take us a bit of a while to get there but you're talking about movement patterns so look at where you are when you're coming down a drop like what muscles are working what position are you in where's your hip where's your heels where are your shoulders how are you going to keep your weight back what are you doing when you're asking for a flying change or whatever it is going over a jump and then you look at those movement patterns. You start to break them down, identify what muscles you need, what movements you need, and then from there you build a program. And then, like you said, exactly, a deadlift is a perfect example. But if you just say to someone, "Go and do that," you're gonna be like, "Well, why?" Like, and most people probably think, "Okay, yeah, uh, my quads are working all the time, my core's working." Like most riders think that the front of their body is doing all the work and just completely neglect the back of their body, and also. I think for, I don't know if Connor finds this, but personally in my coaching experience, 80% of people can squat, they can push, they can uh, pull quite easily, but when it comes to asking them to do a deadlift or a hip hinge safely, most people can't do it or they've done it before and maybe it's been coached, not necessarily badly, but not had the best you know coaching and technique advice. Um, and they've either hurt their back or they don't feel the right muscles working. So they don't get anything out of it. And, you know, it's a bit again, having that confidence in the gym once you feel the right movement patterns. And like you said, that my muscle connection, like when I always try and say that to my guys, and like if anyone says, like, oh, I'm not really sure, like how I can't, I can feel a more balanced, but I can't really feel how, say, like, um, I'm feeling so much stronger in my, sp- in my glutes in my single leg work i can't really feel that in the saddle and then i'll just say well at the end of the session obviously if your horse is safe to do this like you can just literally like drop him on a loose rein like you've worked him for 40 minutes and then just really hone in on yourself like if you want to but obviously you know you need to be a good enough rider to do that and have good enough balance you can take your stirrups away and just really think like okay like where am i riding from like just focus on yourself like even hold the main like put your hands in the main are you riding from your glutes are you actually engaging your core are you using your shoulders or are you actually just like pulling on the mouths left to right like not really thinking about what your core is doing just you know kind of swinging your legs about and when you do that for you know five, 10 minutes a day like a few times a week or consistently that makes a massive difference as well with that mind muscle and then I think you get that ah okay that's how this is helping this or you get that kind of relation from what you're doing into your actual riding
2: I also think one thing, that I mean, you've you've both touched on loads of stuff there and I'm not going to bother adding anything more to that because I think you said it perfectly. But one of the things that I found, maybe not so much with uh, uh, Equestrian, I mean, I only coach you, but two things. Number one is, you mentioned it right at the start, is focusing on the big rocks and then the little rocks. So I call them non-negotiables, which is the stuff I want you to do. And then the negotiables, which is the stuff that you want to do but once we've done the non-negotiables, we can then do everything else. So like you said, the finishers, you know, whatever else, mm-hmm. as long as we do all these things and we, you know, I, I can say to you, this is why we're doing it, you know, blah, blah, blah. Now you can do all this sort of stuff. Um, and then the second thing as well is I think people massively get wrapped up in um, they have a specific way of doing things and they don't adapt that to the person in front of them. You know, I don't give everybody that I coach um, trap bar deadlift or or straight bar deadlift or heavy squats with it, like back squats or front squats. It, it depends on what we are trying to do for that person, for that athlete. If I've got someone that deals with knee pain, maybe there's a couple of exercises that tend to help. Maybe there's some that don't. I'm not just going to avoid all of those exercises because I still want to figure out why can't you do this exercise. What yeah. is it that's making the issue again? I'm not a physio, so I might refer out, um, <clears throat> which you also mentioned, but yeah, yeah it, I was gonna it's... say
1: a huge one saying that you work with a physio. I always say that's clients like if mm. they're having any back pain, but well, not even back pain, like any niggles, um, like always go and see a physio because at least then, as well, yeah. you know exactly what you're working with. Like, obviously, it's outside of our scope of practice as fitness professionals to diagnose or identify, and then at least you're all on the same plan. Um, you're all on the same page and you can actually, you know, make sure you're doing the right work to help.
0: Yeah, mm-hmm. for sure. And, and I think um, it's interesting, actually, because I, I don't know what it's like in other sports like luge, for example, but in, in riding, I think for some reason that there are a lot of riding physios and they actually have like very good knowledge about rider biomechanics and how, you know, your body transfers into into those movement patterns and into riding and yeah I guess again it's just connecting those dots and bridging the gap between you know what going to physio and and understanding what they're telling you um
1: I was gonna say to Connor how does like training say usual and like all of that that side of things like the physio the programs you guys do like differ to all the other sports that you coach because you've got a vast array of sports haven't you
2: yeah I'd say um I think that's where the specifics come in is that I'm not necessarily looking at what do I need to make super specific compared to that sport. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I'm not going to get someone, let's say I have a footballer. Oh, I need to get faster on the ball. I'm like, right. Okay. So are you asking me that you need better ball control, which is out of my control? I'm not going to be able to teach you that because I don't know the first thing about playing football But what I can do is off the ball, make you faster, which means that if you are on the ball, because you are faster, anything that you do that is sub maximally from that, you should be able to move faster. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's almost like reverse engineering it, making it so simple that it's almost hard. Um, and in Yushan's case, a lot, we have conversations about this every couple of weeks, right? What are we going to work on? Um, one of the things that we've been working on massively is controlling the saddle, hip control, um, making almost, I know this seems weird, but making his legs almost feel longer in the saddle mm-hmm. and without surgery, that's never going to work. But, <laughs> you know, it's like, got quite short legs. he has got very short legs.
0: I mean, you guys have both seen my stumps for legs, um, <laughs> but yeah, no, I mean, that's, that's such a, that's another thing, you know, cause I I'm very aware of that, believe it or not. Um, my short legs, um, and, you know, when I, obviously when 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 you're riding, you want to be as, as long as possible and have the weight down. And uh, again, it, it was one of those things where everyone's like, well, you got to stretch, like stretch your hamstrings, um, stretch your quality. It's not going to make you and taller. I, like, well, a, <laughs> I, believe, have- I believe that, you know, as I was, I was <laughs> stretching and I, and, you know, I still don't get me wrong. Like I do my stretching and mobility work religiously, like every day, um, but actually, doing a hip hinge and and getting stronger hamstrings has made my hips looser
1: yeah yeah strength definitely builds flexibility
0: yeah Mm -hmm. and um you know so yeah i think
1: you only have to look don't you like say between your hong kong teammates like look at you all and again like kind of what con is saying like rather than going so sport specific you need to focus on the individual in front of you what do you need um, like you know what do you also want but then like w- what do you need as well from a sports point of view but look yeah. at say you to your teammate Tom who I train Tom's what six foot two it's built so like a bean pole we're, we're, his we're legs the
0: same yard, but like we're polar opposite <laughs> yeah
1: completely yeah so- like legs as long as anything and then like stood next to you you're much more of kind of like a smaller power build but I suppose like look at rugby like everyone kind of looks similar obviously their shape size depends on the position they play whereas equestrians like there isn't a perfect physique or a perfect figure like the same for females like you can look at some of the smaller show jumpers that are quite small petite but they're very powerful like they've got like quite muscular legs they've got quite muscular glutes and they're quite strong on their top halves then you look at I don't know uh, a dressage rider who's really tall long and um, someone like say Lottie Fry that went to the Olympics this year and like very tall very slim but they're completely different shapes I think that maybe is where it gets a bit difficult as well because again like Connor was saying you know one prescription for you isn't going to work for a prescription for Tom eh?
2: and there's there's certainly carryovers like I'm not saying that you know, essentially every athlete is a blank canvas, um, you know, uh, uh, what they've done in the past and so on and so forth. Uh, and the more you work with that person, which also comes down to it, the more you begin to understand what they might need, how they work. You know, I know that if I want Yushuan to do something that he doesn't want to do, I'm going to have to get him to do things that he wants to do as well. Yeah. Which what is why I... Things? Which is I'm not going to tell you that. <laughs> that's 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 in here. That's locked away. Um, which is why you know coming from a big powerlifting background, I was never going to just get rid of all the strength work. He needs, still needs to be super strong. I mean, he's probably, I mean, he probably is. That's probably the strongest guy in the equestrian circuit because of that. <laughs> because of his history. I mean, hey, we're laying down the gauntlet now. Yeah, if anyone thinks, um, and I, mean, I don't
0: know, I've seen Kent Farrington's, Workouts and stuff.
1: I don't reckon, what's your deadlift um, when we're at max?
0: Well, Connor doesn't let me deadlift anymore. No, uh, it's, it's trap hard. bar yeah. only. Okay, squat so
1: then. Connor doesn't
0: let me squat. <laughs> <laughs> <But> back, <laughs> back when um, I didn't I let you <laughs> What would <what> that? <laughs> that been like two years ago that I last did a proper deadlift yeah. and I think I did two 200
1: for three? Yeah, so you're strong, um, yeah. but trap um, bar as well. Yeah um yeah but yeah. anyway uh, enough about my so yeah out of interest going on to that because people obviously hear you say that and then wonder like from connor's point of view why have you stopped fuchuan then from doing the heavier like compound movements like your squats you deadlifts i presume he still does a bit of that in his program in some way like you just said the trap bar
2: yeah i think the different difference is that wet equestrian is not a strength sport so i like to kind of distinguish um Training is almost two parts. Imagine you have a house and both workouts could be very similar. Number one is pushing the ceiling, which would mean pushing your strength higher than it is right now. To give you an example, it could mean going from an 80 kilo squat to a hundred kilo squat for for one rep, three reps, five reps, whatever you use to characterize that strength. That's pushing the ceiling. So you're essentially bringing the, uh, the level of your strength higher Um, and a lot of people do that. They think, you know, and it's, it's a great way, great way to think. I still do the same thing. The second thing, which a lot of people don't generally tend to think about is once you've got that ceiling super high, but then there's a massive gap between the floor and the ceiling, how can I make you, how can I pull this floor towards your ceiling? Which would essentially mean that let's say, for example, your best back squat is hundred kilos. Um, for let's just go with one rep um but you can't even squat 80 kilos for five because you are just pure strength there's no there's nothing in between um it's essentially bringing that base higher and higher so we don't have to continue to keep pushing that strength because ultimately if you're not a strength dominant sport there is a point of diminishing return There is no point in you continuing to get stronger and stronger and stronger and stronger till you get a 300 kilo deadlift because you don't need that to be a good equestrian rider. You need, and this might seem strange coming from a strength coach where my job is to get you strong. It's not just to get you strong. It's to make you strong enough to tolerate the positions you find yourself in the saddle. It's potentially to protect yourself from any kind of injuries or to, if you have knee pain, are your hamstrings weak, whatever, whatever, even falling off, even falling off the horse gives you a little bit of protection. If you're slightly stronger, your bones are a little bit stronger, tendons. Um, so it's not just like make them really, really strong and your job is done.
1: Because yeah.
2: otherwise I'd have a job for a year and then I'd get sacked because I'm like, oh, well, I'm really strong now.
1: Yeah. So it's um, almost like that one session you put kind of push, push, push. And then that other session is almost a bit more, kind of i suppose not specific individual mm. based a little bit more what you yeah. what you need a bit more kind of prescription and dosage
2: yeah and one of the reasons going back to the the question is one of the reasons why we haven't we still do strength work don't get me wrong i mean we've pushed this trap bar up i can't even remember what you did three weeks ago it was like bloody 210 for three was it so he's still ridiculously strong yeah um But now we've shifted the focus uh, because ultimately, the stronger you get, the more requirement it takes for your body to be under that stress. And right now he doesn't need that. Mm -hmm. And so we've identified that, Okay, we're happy with where we are. We might come back to the strength work. It's not like, uh, you know, we're not doing the strength stuff. And people always get wrapped up in, you know, we are still squatting. We are still doing stuff like this but it just means that the focus the attention has shifted yeah Um, so we're more focused now on single leg work uh a lot more core control core stability uh so usually i'd get someone maybe doing a split squat and this is the difference between maybe say you training beginners or advanced like tom it would look entirely there'd be some similarities but it would look entirely different if i have a beginner i would maybe get them on a goblet squat And once they can kind of master that and we're like, okay, I'm happy with that. Let's maybe try and drive the strength up a little bit or get a little bit more, you know, involvement in the core and the legs, we can go to a front squat or a back squat. And I guess it's learning how to kind of progress, which is also why you have a coach. Definitely. Is they are I I hope that they're aware.
0: I mean, to tie that in, I if I don't have Connor, I wouldn't be doing single leg stuff because I fucking hate it. Yeah. I see the benefit in it. And, you know, I yeah, just just to kind of draw it all together and, and I think it's so important to like from my personal experience and my own riding um, like like I was saying we've been saying like drawing that connection and joining that dot of what we're doing in the gym to improve our riding to actually bring it to to the horse and to our riding and you know if you know I, I don't go to Connor and be like, oh, I, I, need to, I, need, I need to be a better dressage rider. You know, I need to work on my shoulder in, or, or um, you know, I need to learn how to ride these lines better. But, I, you know, I try to identify that and we try to identify those movements and those aspects that I need to get better. And if you look at, I guess, my pictures and videos over the last two years, like going over jumps, like my position now is for sure a lot more secure and a lot more effective. Um, based on what we've been doing um, and yeah so like just just to just to finish off like we've obviously covered a lot today but and um, uh, you know what Katie what, what would you say what would you want to give someone to take away from from this I know you said that everyone should should invest in a coach but but you know other than that like what do you think what's the one thing that that they can take away?
1: Uh, I think you just summed it up really well again like it's a difficult one because like you said you've looking back at pictures and videos you can now see that there's a distinct difference there but unlike a sport where it's measured by time weight pbs it's actually really hard to see progression and like what is progression to you like it's going to be the way that you feel so it's very hard to manage like manage and see that as well But I think like takeaways, whatever level of athlete you are, and not just equestrian in any sport, whether you're a marathon runner, like I've got a rider training for a half and her physio said how impressed she was that she's doing a strength programme, the amount of runners she sees with injuries. So it's the same across all sports, but just doing something is better than nothing. If you can only like put aside... Half an hour twice a week, or if you can put aside four hours a week into your training, then perfect. Make sure what you're doing is going to be time effective, so it works for you. It's also something that you enjoy, but it's focusing on those movement patterns. It's thinking about having you moving functionally as well. Like because most riders have another stream of income or a job, even if you are a full time rider, you still probably got family. So making sure that like you know you're functionally strong as well. Whether that's driving the lorry, whether that's playing with your kids, picking up heavy things on the yard. Um, And just making sure that you include a little bit of everything. I think like we've spoken about, it's really easy to either focus on only what you want to do. Or, like you said, like Connor says, you're not going to go to Connor and say, I need X, Y, Z. And that's where, yes, having a coach to educate you can be really good. But just like you would with your dressage coach, you need to have like confidence and trust in your coach and have a conversation. Okay, go away, work on this for a week, come back to me and we'll see where you are. And it's like constant changing, um, thing and like if things don't work like you just got to change it up like obviously you need to stick with something and be consistent cuz i think often people aren't consistent enough and forget the basics of progressive overload applied consistency consistently is where you're going to get fitter and stronger but yeah i think that's the main takeaway is like find what you need um doing something is better than doing nothing add a little bit of everything in there and make sure that the dosage in terms of how much you're doing suits you so you're not overdoing it you know dependent on stress from everywhere else um, and then just, you know, making sure that, you know, you're feeling a difference and think about where your differences are in your riding over time.
0: Sweet. No, that's yeah. perfect. Thank you so much for coming yeah. on, Katie. Like that was such such Sweet. an interesting and insightful chat. And I'm sure Connor and everyone else would agree. Uh, just to wrap up, like where can people find you? What do you want to plug? Go for it.
1: Uh, you can find me Instagram's probably the best place, so it's uh, at KK Bleakman underscore Equestrian PT, um, or my website Event Rider Fitness. Um, I do also have a private Facebook group, um, so if you just search Event Rider Fitness, uh, you can add yourselves in there. Um, I prefer if you send me a DM, ask me what you're looking for, and then I can give you kind of access to a bit of content and give you a few ideas on where to start. But yeah,
2: and would you be able to um, maybe mention where they can listen to that podcast that you mentioned on the? yeah
1: so the horse and hound uh mini series podcast so it's available on spotify um and then they do a weekly podcast episode and if you go to the last five to eight minutes of that segment um there is episodes on lots of different specific uh rider fitness information this series is covered nutrition mindset uh mobility things like hip mobility getting on from the ground why strength training is important so there's lots there to go and check out as well
0: make sure you go check that out and Thanks for listening.
2: So, Yushuan, do you want to plug where people can find you?
0: Yeah, so on Instagram, I am at yushuan.sue.eventing. On Facebook, I am Su eventing And my website is suuyushuan.eventing.com. What about you, Connor?
2: mine is at conor stuff on instagram and at stoic strength systems on instagram and we was also just set up a Patreon under the same name stoic strength systems so give those a follow i will put the links all down in the description if i figure out how to do it thank you for listening to this episode
0: make sure you like share and subscribe to the podcast on wherever you listen to your podcasts and we'll see you next